So I want to show you a, a picture of Pastor Fred Faraday's. That's him in the middle. That's my dad on the right. And I'm the guy on the left without a beard, without a, uh, a wife or a job at a church. This was a while ago. This is like 2014. <clears throat> and uh, so this, this man, Pastor Fred, one of my dear friends, he is an incredible, incredible leader. He's a, he's a pastor in Kibera Slum in Nairobi, Kenya. And he has dedicated his life to serving God in a really challenging place. Now, apart from the, some of the normal challenges that you might expect, things like poverty or hopelessness or, or uh, you know, even violence or disease, those are some of the things he's got to deal with in his church. But, but there's one aspect of, of his work there that's frankly very discouraging. Uh, he has to deal with tribalism. Tribalism. Pastor Fred's church is made up of people from the Kikuyu tribe or the Luo tribe or the Kamba tribe. And, and there's 42 tribes in Kenya, so there's plenty. But, but he's got folks from all these different tribes as a part of his church. Now, most of the time, everybody gets along just fine. They worship together. They're all one. They're, they're, they're together. But then there are these moments when their tribe takes precedence over their faith. For example, uh, oftentimes when there's a funeral in the family, someone from his church will say, oh, sorry, Pastor Fred, but we're going to have our, our tribal witch doctor do the funeral because that's what our tribe expects. And so he, he doesn't, is not able to pastor them in that, in that moment because the tribe takes precedence. Or uh, as often happens when there's any sort of uh, politically or, or culturally or tribally related uh, violence, it's often uh, the case that even within his own church, people are at each other's throats. There's, there's uh, division, and he's got to deal with that because, again, people's tribe, uh, it trumps their, their, their loyalty to Christ and their, their uh, uh, identity as Christ's followers. So that's what he has to deal with. And frankly, over my many years talking with Pastor Fred, it's one of the things that has been so discouraging for him because it makes him think how little uh, has, our, has our faith really taken root when people are so quick to turn to their tribes. So it's discouraging for him. Now, I, I tell you all this because back in 2014, like, I couldn't really relate to that. I, I, I felt for him, but I, I didn't understand what that was like. But I got to tell you that being a pastor in 2021, well, it's maybe not so hard for me to understand. For most of the 20th century in America, we don't have—we didn't have tribes like that. Like, I'm, I'm from, like, I'm part— English and Spanish and Italian. Like, I'm not, I don't have like a tribe that would be my physiological tribe, but uh, we do have a, cu a couple things, maybe like Ayu Purdue, uh, I don't know, Chipotle Qdoba. That one can get really vicious, I know, <laughs> right? Or PC versus Mac. We've got those disagreements, but it's hardly tribalism, right? They're not, they're not tribes. But over the last 20 years, especially, something has begun to change here. Tribalism has come to America in a, in a real way, maybe for the first time. Two big tribes in, in particular have arisen, and, and they are frankly ripping our community apart. These two tribes are like, are like two big whirlpools, and they're, they're just circling each other and sucking everybody into them. You got to pick a side, right? You can't just be neutral anymore. And frankly, it is hard to be shaped by just about anything else in your opinions, in your worldview, in your, in your friends, in, in who you spend time with. I mean, you're being shaped. We are all being shaped by these two uh, almost inescapable tribes. So much so that I, I think if I were to sit down with, with you over a cup of coffee, and I asked you your, your thoughts on some hot-button issue of the day, and you told me your opinion, 
I could probably, with a pretty high degree of accuracy, also tell you then what you believe about immigration or politics or same-sex marriage or, or whatever, any of the other issues that are gun control. I could tell you what you believe based on one thing that you believe because that's how tribalism works. You get sucked into a tribe and suddenly you're just like everybody else in that tribe. That's how it goes. And, and frankly, these tribes are starting to dominate our lives, dominate even our emotions. I mean, you feel it, right? You feel it. I feel it. There's this, this tension in the air. There's this, this anxiety. There's, there's anger. Uh, real question. I want you to raise your hand. How many of you find that you are a little bit more short-tempered or a little, little quicker to anger than you were two years ago before the pandemic? Raise your hand if that's true of you. My goodness. Look at us with our hands raised. Now, don't raise your hands at this one, but let me ask you this. Again, please don't respond. Is your anger or that short-temperedness or that short fuse, is it because of those other guys and what they're doing to our country? Is that why? I think it probably is. I think it probably is. I mean, it's Christmas this week, right? It's the happiest season of all. And it feels like we're wrapping presents behind a barricade sometimes. So what, what is going on with this? And I got to tell you, the biggest problem with all of this, this tribalism that's happening now is not the anger. It's not the, I guess, potential for violence. It's not the division. You know what the problem is? The problem is that it does not seem very much different at all within the church. It feels like we are just as much prone to this tribalism as, as, as anyone else outside of the church. Just like Pastor Fred in Kenya— it's discouraging to me as a pastor because we're supposed to be better than this, right? Our, our tribe should not take precedence over our faith. We are supposed to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. We're, we're set apart in the world, not of the world, a city on a hill. That's supposed to be us. We're supposed to represent God's peace on earth. People should look at us and see a return to Eden. That's what the church is meant to be. How can we possibly do that? if we are allowing our tribal identities to take precedence over our identity in Christ. That's what I want to talk about today. That's what we're going to get into. Now, I know that that sounds awfully intense for Christmas week, Barry. Come on, man. Can't we just talk about mangers or something? Like, what is this? This is way, way too intense. And I get that. And I get that, right? We'd probably all just be so happy if we just talked about, you know, whatever, angels and, and sheep and the manger, all that. But we're going to go there, all right? And I'll tell you why we're going to go there. Because there's hope. There is hope for something to change. And frankly, that hope, it comes right from the Christmas story itself. The, the, the birth of Jesus himself points the way to a new possible future for not just our church, but for our community. It might just show us, this, this Christmas story might just show us a path out of this divided time. And isn't that what we all want this Christmas? Peace on earth, goodwill towards men, that's what we want. I know that's what I want. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about how to experience peace on earth in a tribalistic time. 
So far in this series, we've talked about peace, uh, the birth of Jesus bringing peace on earth. And the peace that we've talked about, just to kind of set the stage, is, is as it says in, uh, in, oh shoot, was it First Peter? Yeah, peace that goes beyond our ability to understand. It's not First Peter. I'm getting all, this is, I'm preaching like four times in a row, and I've been writing them all interspersed, and I'm losing the thread. Anyway, whatever it is, Peter, it, Paul calls it the peace that goes beyond, it's Philippians. Philippians 4. Philippians 4, guys, we did it. <laughs> Paul calls it the peace that goes beyond our ability to understand. Peace beyond thought is what he says. That's the peace, peace on earth. Now, we've talked about the fact that peace in Scripture is way more than just uh, an absence of warfare, Right? It's not an absence of warfare. It is, a, it is a whole life peace. It's wholeness and abundance and joy and fruitfulness. Like peace is, is, is shalom. It's all of it together. It's frankly, it's a return to Eden. That's what God's peace is, going back to the Garden of Eden where God's presence is with us. And we have talked about how we can experience that peace in our hearts when we look at the Christmas story particularly by, by recognizing that the Lord is now near. The Lord is near to us. We can also experience peace in our families when we take that, that near Lord of ours and begin to love like him, love the way that he loved, by setting ourselves aside and, and uh, practicing self-giving love. Jesus came as a helpless baby, and he ultimately died on our behalf. He, he loved his enemies, so we can love our families the way he loved with self-giving love, and that will lead us to peace. Well, today we're going to keep this, we've been kind of expanding outward from our heart to our families, and now we're going to talk about peace in our community. How does the message of Christ, how does the, the story of Christmas, how does it change things outside these walls? How does it actually change the community around us, especially in this tribalistic time? Well, to answer that, I want to look at another letter of Paul to the Romans. We're going to look at Romans, and this is going to be Romans chapter 12, <clears throat> starting in verse 14, page 945 in the House Bibles, or you can use your own Bibles, and uh, I'm also going to have it up on the screen so you can see it. Um, real quick, Romans in general, this is kind of an interesting— it, there's plenty of stuff we could look at about tribalism in Romans because, frankly, the whole book is about tribalism. It's about the, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians in Rome that were at each other's throats. They didn't, they didn't work well together, and Rome—Paul's basically telling them, knock it off. There's bigger, more important things to deal with. But in chapter 12, Paul shifts his attention a bit to how this church, how this church in Rome is going to be uh, able to, uh, to live within this broader society, within this community of Rome itself. And so here's what he says to them as far as how they are to live together for the sake of the community beyond. So here's what he says. Verse 14, he says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Now that passage honestly sounds an awful lot like what we read last week in 1 Peter. Uh, yet again, it, you see peace and you see self-giving love, and they're, they're right side by side. They go hand in hand. Self-giving love, right? Bless those who persecute you. 
You give of yourself. Uh, Practice empathy for others, not just yourself. Set yourself aside and hang out with ordinary people, Paul says. Get over yourself, in other words. Stop thinking that you know it all because you don't. And then look at this last line, verse 18. It says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can. Now, I'm pretty positive that when Paul's talking about peace here, he is quoting Jesus himself. We're taking this concept from one of Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. The children of God. By the way, children of God is just a shorthand way of saying those that, that have the character and the DNA of their father. So peacemakers are those that are children of God. And Paul is picking right up on that. Church in Rome, he's saying, you need to be peacemakers. Do all that you can to do that. This is interesting. That same verse, uh, if you take it a little bit more literally, what Paul's more literally saying in Greek is, if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. It's a slight difference, but it's, but it's intriguing because he's essentially saying, as far as it depends on you, as far as what you can control, live in peace with everyone. In other words, you cannot control other people's actions right? You can't do it. The world around you, it's probably going to be spreading violence and hatred and division, but you can control yourself. You can control yourself. Now, one thing I I didn't mention is that all of the verses in, in chapter 12, everything he's saying here, all the pronouns, all the verbs, they are all plural. So we don't see this in English very well. It's not saying you need to do this. He's saying y'all need to do this, right? You all. This is, this is plural. And so, So what he's saying here is y'all, y'all live in peace with everyone. So plural, he's basically saying, look, you as a church, you cannot control the tribalism of your community, but you can help shape what your church, what your community is known for. Loving your enemies, empathy, humility, peacemaking. You can control that, even if you can't control them. Verse 16, he says, do things in such a way that everyone can see that you, y'all, are honorable. So that is how you establish peace in your community. You, You love like Jesus loves, even if it's not reciprocated, even if the community around you doesn't, and then they'll notice. They'll notice, and they'll be changed. Put simply, the church can bring peace to its community, the peace of God to its community, when it is known, when it has a reputation for self-giving love. Which sounds great. It really does. But there's a problem with that. Self-giving love is really hard, right? It's really hard. It's not natural to us. Frankly, self-giving love is unnatural to those of us who were born and raised in a world of self-serving pride, and all of us were, right? We're, that's, that's our upbringing. That's our perspective on the world. It's, our, it's all about strength and winning and success. That's how we define ourselves in our community. So how are we supposed to live out this self-giving love of Jesus? How are we supposed to imitate him when everything that we are exposed to in our world and our upbringing and our childhood, how are we supposed to, when it's all completely the opposite, when it's self-serving, how are we going to be known for peace when everything is drawing us in another direction? When it's sucking us into these whirlpools of tribalism? 
How do we do it? Well, take a look. Skip up to to verse 1. Go back a few verses because Paul lays out the answer for us right here. Verse 1. He says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be living, a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into, into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Well, there's our answer right there. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. I mean, yeah, we're all coming from a culture that idolizes the self, that pulls us into the whirlpools of tribalism, but we can, according to Paul, we can let God transform us into new people, into new people by changing the way we think. Now, in Greek, this word transform is metamorpho, metamorpho. It, it means to, to change one's form. It's actually it's the, where we get the word metamorphosis. And so I, I tell you that because this idea of being transformed, this is not behavior modification, right? This is not just trying a bit harder and sprinkling in some Jesus stuff occasionally. No, this is whole life surrender. This is complete and utter change in who we are. We are new people in this, changing our default settings, in other words. This is literally changing how we approach our world, how we see the world. We allow God to transform us, to metamorphosize us into new people who think differently. That's what the Holy Spirit does, by the way. The Spirit of Christ is within us, changing us, transforming us to be like him. And that, guys, that is how self-giving love is possible. I mean, thank goodness it's not up to us, because again, we don't have it in us to do this well. But Christ loving through us, now that's possible, That's possible. We can't be self-giving by default. But if God changes our default settings, well, we can start to change how we approach our world. Here's what this tells me. All this idea of transformation, of whole life surrender, it tells me that if we, right now, in in our 2021 selves, if we are currently being completely identified by these whirlpools of tribalism, and all we want to do is slap a Christian bumper sticker on it, guess what we'll end up as? Christian tribalists. That's all we're going to be. That isn't an option for us because what, what we are being called to is whole life surrender. It's like what Pastor Fred deals with in Nairobi, right? Everyone calls themselves a Christian, but when, when the pressure's on, when, when, when something big happens, what the tribe demands comes first, So let me boil it down for you. If we want Grace Church to bring peace to our divided community right now, then we cannot just copy the behaviors and the customs of our tribes. We have got to be transformed. And that takes whole life surrender. We've got to be new people. New people. Peace in this tribalistic time, it's possible. It is possible. But we must first be transformed into the image of Christ. We've got to be transformed. New people, not just hating and judging and isolating and dividing ourselves like everybody else and calling it Christian. We've got to be new people. Our Savior came to us that first Christmas morning in humility, 
and helplessness and surrender. And that, according to the angels, that is when peace on earth began. Well, guys, we've got to have the exact same attitude as him if we want peace on earth to continue. You want to talk about mangers? Let's talk about mangers, right? If we're, well, let's go ahead and get Christmas here. The Son of God was placed into an animal's food trough. That is self-giving. That is surrender beyond anything that we can even imagine. That is what we are called to do, called to live in that same level of setting ourselves aside. Our community can start to find peace once we, y'all, once we all begin to look like him. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, I'll tell you what. This goes way beyond just a couple of bullet points at the end of a message. And frankly, this is something that, that whole life surrender, it takes your whole life. <laughs> this doesn't just happen overnight. And it's why, why at Grace we talk so much about discipleship. We don't just talk about that first step of following Jesus. We talk about the whole life of being transformed into his, into his likeness. And so when we talk about this, I'm telling you, guys, to become like him, to love like him, it takes a lifetime of practice, and it takes a lifetime of surrender. So I'm not going to give you three bullet points for here's all you got to do to love like Jesus this weekend, but here's what I will do. I can give you some reminders. As you, as you walk on this journey of discipleship, and by the way, discipleship, I should explain that. It, being a disciple of somebody means that you are willingly uh, following them and shaping your life after theirs. To be a disciple of Jesus means that you are willingly uh, following his teachings, following him where he goes, and trying to be like him. That's what I'm calling us all to. Okay, so that's discipleship. So here's some reminders as you walk that journey of discipleship in your own life, that whole life surrender, some things to keep in mind. Some things to keep in mind. Number one, you got to do the work. You've got to do the work. Um, Back in 2010, there was a a sermon that really spoke to me. I was single back then. Uh, Liv had not entered my life yet. And uh, back in 2010, there was a a pastor from Georgia named Andy Stanley. Some of you have probably heard him before. Great, great teacher. He had uh, this teaching that he gave about being single, which stuck with me big time. Uh, He said, you know, there's this myth of people who are constantly— I promise this will— Tiana, just hold, st- stay with me. The, the, he said, this, this myth is that there's this perfect person out there and you just got to search and search and search and you'll finally find your perfect match. And he's like, no, that's not how it works. He said, what you need to focus on is becoming the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. All right, you with me? The person that the, become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for and then they'll find you. Okay, that was what he said. And it was brilliant. He's totally true because if I'm, let's say it's 20, I don't know, 2010, and I'm, and I'm, I I would love to to find someone who's looking for a a generous, godly, uh, passionate man, but I'm none of those things. Well, then she's never coming my way, is she? There's no point looking for her because I'm not what she's looking for. So I've got to work on myself. I've got to be transformed got to be transformed so that she can find me. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to all this talk about self-giving love and tribalism and all of it. We've got to work on ourselves. Our outward expression of Christ-likeness is what's going to happen. Look, if we expect to love our enemies and have empathy for others and, and avoid the whirlpool of tribalism, if that's what we want to do and be, 
but we never do the work on ourselves to actually become the kind of people who do that, who act that way, well, then there's no chance that it's ever going to happen. I mean, do you think that you're just never, you're just going to go about your daily business, go to church, never really think about Jesus, and then one day someone comes up to you and slaps you on the cheek, and you're going to immediately go, I love you, enemy. Here's another cheek. No, you're going to karate chop him in the neck, right? That's how it works. You, you become the, in the pressure on moment, you're going to be the person that you are. So you've got to work, do the work to begin loving your enemies. But, but it's not even about acting the way you act when the pressure's on. It's about who you are when the pressure's off, who you are during the week, who you are when you're alone, If you've never done the work with God's Spirit to be transformed in your normal daily life, then what makes you think that you're going to act like Jesus when the spotlight's on? In his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, which, by the way, is phenomenal, and I recommend you you read it if you haven't already, Dallas Willard uh, suggests that if we want to act like like Jesus when we're on the spot, then we've got to act like him when we're not. And he suggests this is not a passive thing. It takes work. We allow God to transform us, but we do it by doing the work of communing with him in prayer, right? Actually spending time with him, uh, of searching for truth in scriptures, right? We, we, we do it by actually practicing self-denial, setting ourselves aside in stuff that isn't just like on the spot, like fasting and, and abstinence, and th- things that we do internally to practice self-denial. So when something, uh, you know, threatens our sense of self, we're ready to set ourselves aside because that's who we are. We do it by worshiping our creator privately and publicly, by practicing solitude and silence and so on. These disciplines, these are the work of discipleship. This is the work of discipleship, and we've got to do the work, to become like him. In the book, Dallas Willard says, true Christ-likeness, true companionship with Christ, it comes at the point where it is hard not to respond as he would. See what I'm saying? We're transformed into new people, and suddenly we act a bit more like him. If we want Grace Church to be a church that demonstrates the self-giving love of Jesus to our tribalistic community, then guys, you and I have got to do the work to become the kinds of people who look and act like Christ. We've got to be the kinds of people who love our enemies, the kinds of people who look like the Son of God, who gave up, who, who set aside his divine privileges to become one of us, to be born as a helpless child. We follow in the footsteps of our, of our master, of our teacher. He showed us the way of peace, but we've got to do the work to actually follow. So that's my first reminder. Do the work. Second reminder is this. Garbage in, garbage out. I've talked about this before. This is a, a computer science expression where if you've got this really beautiful program in a computer and you feed it garbage data— then what comes out the end is going to be garbage results, right? You feed it garbage, you get garbage. Garbage in, garbage out. We're the same way when it comes to all this talk of tribalism. If what we are feeding into our minds and into our hearts is garbage, well then guess what's going to flow out of us? Garbage. That's a shocker right there. For example, if the stuff that you consume on YouTube or, or social media or TikTok, if the stuff that you're watching and reading, if it's full of hate for those from the other tribe on the other side, well, guess what's going to flow out of you? 
hate. You can't put it in one way and expect a different result. If the news networks that you're watching are force-feeding you fear and outrage and anger, well, guess how you're going to respond when you, when you encounter people from the other tribe? Fear and outrage and anger. Or for that matter, if all of your conversations about whatever, important issues of the day, if every one of your conversations is with people who think exactly like you, people from your tribe, well, guess how much nuance and compassion you're going to have the next time you have a conversation with someone who's got a different opinion. You're not going to have any because garbage in, garbage out. And I just have to remind us of this. I feel like it's important to keep reminding us of this. There are billions of dollars to be made, billions of dollars to be made, to make you and I as outraged and angry as possible. Because why? We keep clicking. We keep scrolling. We want more. We want more. There are a handful of extraordinarily wealthy people who are making their entire livelihoods based on your anger at the other tribe. Think about that. You got to pay attention. Garbage in, garbage out. Verse 2 says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. And so here's, what, here's my challenge to you with, with this in mind. Pay attention to your influences. Pay attention to, the, to the, the, the things that are shaping your worldview and your opinions about the other side. And guys, if those inputs are not Christ-like, shut them off. I'm telling you, shut them off. Do the work. Because if we collectively ever want Grace Church to be different than the world around us, then we've got to focus on, as Paul says, learning to know God's will for us which is good and pleasing and perfect. We got to focus on his will and not the will of our tribe. But if we don't do the work, if we don't pay attention to our influences, that's the only will that we're going to hear. We've got to experience peace, but the only way that'll happen is if we are transformed. Finally, I just want to remind you of this. Our community is watching us. They're watching us. In verse 17, as I said, Paul tells the church in Rome, do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Everybody can see you are honorable. Guys, our community is watching. We talk about the credibility gap being wide. Well, they are watching. And frankly, you know what they expect? They expect that credibility gap to get wider. They're watching us. I'm not trying to be melodramatic here, but look, the message of Jesus, the gospel itself, it depends on our reputation. I'm going to say that again. The gospel, the message of the gospel to transform lives, it depends on our reputation. Do we, does the church love like Christ? Or are we drawing battle lines just like everybody else? What's our reputation? In the early church, Jews and Gentiles were, were at odds with one another, as I mentioned. But Paul would have none of it because there was a lot at stake at their unity. Here's what he said in Ephesians. He said, Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward one another was put to death. I'm going to just shoot straight with you. At Grace Church, we will not put up new dividing walls of hostility. Not here, not now, especially not while our community is watching and expecting us to fail. 
in this tribalistic time, Grace Church will be different. We will shine with the self-giving love of Jesus. It's what I am most committed to in the world. Verse 18, we will do all that we can to live in peace. We can't control what everyone else does, but we can control who we become. That is my commitment. Now look, this is what's so com- complicated about all of this. There will come a time when we're going to have to talk about challenging issues, hot button issues, things that frankly one tribe or the other would like us to not talk about at all. But we are going to talk about them. But when we do, when we do, I want you to hear it directly from me. We will not talk about them because our tribe wants us to, one tribe or the other. We will talk about them because we feel committed in our spirit that God would like us to talk about them. And when we do, and when we do, we are going to be seeking the transformation of the Father in His wisdom, not our own. We'll be listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit in the unity of Christ. When we go there, and we'll go there, When we go there, we will go there in self-giving love. That's who we are as a church because our community is watching. There's a lot at stake. They're watching. So Grace Church, in these divided times, let's show them that there's another way possible. There's another way, the way of peace. Let's show them self-giving love this Christmas and invite them into the way of peace that was brought about by Emmanuel, God with us, a Savior born to transform us all and change us into new people. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, this is not an easy charge in front of us. And yet I feel, we feel, this is vital for us to talk about. In these tribalistic times, Father, we need your wisdom, your guidance, your spirit. Father, would you speak to each one of us? And first of all, would you convict us and challenge us if there are parts of our heart where we are allowing hatred to take root? Would you convict us of that? Root it out of us, Father. And at the same time, Father, would you give us, give us hope? We can't do this based on guilt and shame. We can only do this based on hope. And so, Father, this Christmas, as we think about the self-giving love of Jesus, who became one of us to save us, would you give us a glimpse at what we could be, both individually and as a church, in these divided times? Father, I dream of a day when we can show our community another way to live. So walk with us. Teach us, Father. We are listening. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.